All right, before we get into uh, this week's Torah portion, I want to open up with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to uh, bless this time in the teaching of his word. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we know that it is only through your Holy Spirit that we can even understand this spiritual document that we call your word. And Lord, looking at it through a, a fleshly, carnal, unregenerated heart, mind, and eyes and ears, it's impossible for us to, to plumb the depths and to extrapolate the meaning from your word. So we ask that your Holy Spirit prepare our hearts and minds to make them fertile ground for the seed of your word. Open up our ears and our eyes that we may hear, not just hear, but understand, retain, assimilate, apply, and live your word. Father, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. So turn to Genesis chapter 42. That's where we're going to be beginning. Genesis chapter 42. Now this week's Torah portion is called Mechetz. Mechetz means at the end. And the implication is, is um, you know, at the end, things that happen in the beginning are going to repeat itself at the end. And that's kind of the whole meaning behind the name of this Torah portion. So uh, if I had to, to title this, this message, it would be Payback's a Bleep. You know how people say pay, Payback's a Well, yeah, Payback's a Bleep, or I guess we could say in the British, Payback's a Bugger. So Payback. Um, I want to begin by kind of telling a few stories. So we know that Joseph was unjustly imprisoned. He was unjustly uh, sold into slavery. He was unjustly treated by his brothers. He was unjustly uh, put into slavery, kidnapped and sold into slavery. He was um, falsely accused of rape, and he ended up being put in prison. So there's a lot of, a lot of bad things that happened with Joseph, and all of this was unjust, which number one tells us that the system of the world's justice system is based on man. Now, granted, the Lord instituted man-made justice system to reflect his justice. So our justice needs to be our justice needs to be based on the justice of his word. So it's it's by the absolute right and wrong of his word that we're supposed to judge things in our lives, and that's what secular court systems are supposed to be based on. But when you have a decadent pagan society, they're not going to go by God's dictates or God's words to dish out justice, to declare what's right and wrong, and to make sure that justice is served. And especially today, innocent people... Um, are being accused and, and, and put behind bars. I mean, you just think of the last three years where Pastor James Palaus or Pastor James Coates, Pastor Arthur Pulowski, that was obeying God rather than man. What happened to them when the courts deemed what they were doing as wrong, as against man-made laws? Even though they were obeying God's laws, they were harassed, they were dragged through court, they were fined, in some cases they were imprisoned, and even still they're dealing with that even three years after the fact of these events. So we know ultimately that the world's justice system is not on our side. We know that, that uh, people are, are unjustly and wrongly accused when you, can, when you can go shopping and get tackled and arrested because you're not wearing a piece of paper over your face, while at the same time, people in the store are putting stuff in their jackets and walking out the doors and nothing's happening to them. You know something is gravely wrong in our society, something gravely wrong in our world and our justice system. 
Well, the Egyptians went by the dictates and the fickle minds of the fallen gods, the fallen entities, the fallen angels that posed as gods as their pantheon of Egypt. Pharaoh himself was considered a demigod, considered half deity. So whatever he said was law. And so we find here that Joseph was hated by his brothers because he was a little conceited. He was kind of like the youngest brother and daddy's favorite and a little brat to begin with. And God allowed this to happen for him to be uh, uh, harassed by his brothers, um, uh, treated badly by his brothers, to be imprisoned, to be kidnapped, to be carted off as a slave to Egypt, to be sold into slavery. And through these events, as Joseph would say later in the book of Genesis, he says, you brothers meant this for evil. You had evil intent behind this. But even though you had evil intent, God permitted it to happen, and he turned it around for the good because the reason I'm here is to save your all's life. So we know that even though when injustice happens, God uses it for the good. So the unjust harassment of Pastor James Coates and Pastor Arthur Pulowski, these things were bad, but God used that to awaken the remnant to say, hey, you know, we've got to draw the line here and decide if we're going to obey God or man, which is more important, which do I fear more? And it just brought attention to the remnant community and it caused people to become more emboldened for the Lord. Paul the Apostle himself said when he was in prison, he says, it's a good thing that I'm here in prison. It's a good thing that I'm under house arrest because as a result, the whole household of Caesar has been witnessed to. Not only that, what's happened to me is emboldened other believers not to cower and back down, but to be more brave and bold in their walk and their stance. Now, during Paul's time, you could be uh, beheaded. You could be incarcerated for being a believer. And we're coming back around to those very uh, days and times now. So, true story. My son-in-law's uncle, who was a minister, was falsely accused by his daughter, who is mentally ill, and falsely accused of things. Well, the court usually sees things one way, always believe the victim. But we know that sometimes people can fabricate things. And as a result, um, he was supposed to go away for five years for something he never even did. And there's probably a way he could have gotten out of this, but he didn't want to throw certain people under the bus in order to achieve his freedom. So, I mean, if I was in his shoes, I probably would throw somebody under the bus. <laughs> but, you know, he, he, he made his decision, and that was his own uh, convictions. But thank God that even though he got put away, and if it was just this past week that he got put away, he was supposed to spend five years, but because the court case was so drawn out, it was counted as time served, so he's only going to have to serve 10 months. Praise the Lord. We were all disappointed in the verdict. I was infuriated at the injustice. Um, but as, as uh, my son-in-law's father uh, said, he brought up this situation with Joseph. We know that what happened to Joseph was unjust, but God used it for good. So, you know, it, it, it's crazy to think this way in a sense, but... Now they have pretty much kicked out the clergy from the criminal justice system. I used to go in with Aaron to minister to the prisoners. We can't do that anymore, or it's very rare that we're able to, or it's harder and harder to be able to do that. So there's no chaplaincy system in the Canadian criminal justice system anymore. There, I mean, I, I've even heard of some inmates 
requesting Bibles, having a hard time getting them. So maybe, maybe the Lord's allowing this uh, to have uh, my son-in-law's uncle to be incarcerated so he can be a minister inside. We don't know. But I'm just trying to relate that what happened in Joseph's day is happening right now, and it can happen to any one of us. Now, what we're about to read in regards to Joseph is Joseph tested his brothers because his brothers ended up coming to him and not recognizing who he really was. So we, we, we want to ask ourselves, is it right to do what Joseph did? Because it seems a little unfair, it seems a little bit trickery is what it seems like. But let me relate to you a story from somebody who used to go to Harvest House and be a volunteer. This individual took two people from Harvest House out for the night. And it was kind of a test. Um, and two people went with this individual, and they had the opportunity to do things that they weren't allowed to do, weren't supposed to do. One person said, no, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not doing this because I, I, I don't want to get kicked out. I'm not doing this because I know it's wrong. I'm not doing this because I know I have trouble with these things. And the other person's like, oh, out of sight, out of mind. Don't ask, don't tell. If you're not going to tell, I'm just going to go do it because I have this opportunity. And it was a test for those two people. You know, was that right or was it wrong? Well, it really revealed the heart and, and, and the true intent of one person being in the program and the other person being in the pro program because they just wanted three hots and a cot. They, they were still willing to do what was wrong if nobody found out if they could get away with it. So here we go. We enter into the scripture in Genesis chapter 42, starting with verse 5. For the sons of Israel went to buy grain among the others who were coming because the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land, and he was the provider of grain for all the people of the earth. Then Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Now what this immediately makes me think of is the prophetic dreams he had as a conceited little boy. Hey, my sheaves bowed down to your sheaf. Your, your sheaves bowed down to mine, in other words. And uh, this prophecy was being fulfilled. This dream was being fulfilled. And it come to a point where it's like, oh, this, this dream could never be fulfilled. How could ever a slave rise up to power? That's just impossible. That's unheard of. That's ridiculous. But it happened. And God made it happen. And, you know, why didn't, why didn't just one of the brothers go down and buy grain for the entire household? Because according to tradition and rabbinic uh, legend, Joseph enacted a law that, you, that only the head of the household could come down and get grain because you know how people like to hoard. Oh, I'm buying this for so-and-so. Yeah, right. You just want a little extra. So he made every, you know, the, the leader of the household had to go and buy. So this caused, this required all of his brothers to go and buy grain. So that was his way of getting his brothers down there to him. Then Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he made himself unrecognizable to them. And he did this in several ways. He didn't have a beard. He didn't have hair because when he presented himself before Pharaoh, when he came out of the dungeon, he shaved his entire body like the custom of, of Egyptians. He was wearing Egyptian clothing. The, 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 the uh, necklaces and the garb of an Egyptian ruler. He spoke in Egyptian, in the Egyptian language. So 
there would be no way they could recognize him. Kind of like, you know, Miss Doubtfire. They had no idea it was their dad, but it was their dad, right? So kind of the same thing, if you remember that movie. Uh, he made himself unrecognizable to them. Then he spoke harshly and said to them, Where have you come from? Uh, fr from the land of Canaan, they said, to, to buy grain and food. Though Joseph recognizes his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams. He dreamed about them, and he said, You're spies. You've come to see the undefended places in the land. Now we're going to jump down to uh, verse 14. Joseph said to them, It's just like I told you when I said, You're spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you will not leave from here until your youngest brother comes. Uh, send one from among you to get your brother while you remain confined in order to test your words to see whether the truth is with you. If not, by the life of Pharaoh, you are definitely spies. So he put them together in custody for three days. Then Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and you will live. I fear God. If you're honest, let one of your brothers remain as a prisoner in the guardhouse where you have been while, while you go and bring grain to your hung, to, for the hunger in your homes. And your youngest brother, bring to me so that your words can be verified and you won't die. So they did. Now, as I said, Joseph went from being um, hated by his brothers to being kidnapped to being held hostage and sold into slavery and then eventually falsely imprisoned for rape. And then after many years, miraculously, he rose to power and um, became second in command of Egypt. Now, because he was ruler of Egypt, he actually had the power to take revenge and vengeance upon his brothers. Nobody could stop him. He could do whatever he wanted, and I think Joseph knew this. He had the power to avenge himself and take revenge on the unjust things done to him uh, on the account of his brothers. Now, how many of us have been in positions where somebody did ba something bad to us and we had a chance to get him back? Very tempting to do that. Because especially if there's no justice in this world, if you don't stand up for yourself, who's going to stand up for you? Well, that's why the Lord put in the scriptures, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Make room and make way for the Lord to take vengeance. And so I think Joseph knew this well. So as followers of a holy God, a God of love, we're supposed to forgive. So why is Joseph harassing his brothers? Where's the good in that? As our question for this year. We're trying to find good in bad situations. Where's the good in that? I mean, doesn't he realize ultimately by harassing his brothers, he's hurting his father who never stopped grieving over him? Well, here's the answer to that. So in verse 21, it reads, then each man said to his brother, we are truly guilty for our brother. I mean, this is something they did 20 years ago. I mean, I've done a lot of wrong things, probably a lot of wrong things 20 years ago because I was young and stupid. But I don't always remember those wrong things that I've done. And I'm not living with constant haunting regret of the things that I've done 20 years ago. But this act that they did over 20 years ago is still haunting and nagging his brothers and whatever anything bad happens to them they automatically connect it to unjustly doing what they did to joseph 
They're putting two and two together. It's almost, and I hate to use this word because it's a new age word, but it's almost like divine karma. What goes around comes around. So they said, we're truly guilty of our brother. We saw the distress of his soul. Then he begged us for mercy, but he did, but we didn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Now they were incarcerated for three days. Now in the Hebrew, it says where they were incarcerated was a pit. Where did they put Joseph? Payback's a bleep, right? And so uh, they were probably just, you know, in there for three days. Oh, no, what, what are we going to do? And, they, they, and Joseph heard their distress and did nothing. So in a sense, it kind of seems like payback, but there's a reason for it. It's not payback. It's a test. Just like that guy tested those two people here at Harvest House to see where their heart was, why they were here, if they were true or not. And so verse 21 reveals that um, the good is that his brother still felt guilt after what they did for after all these years. So it showed that his brothers had a conscience. That, that, they, that by feeling bad about what they did, it showed remorse, regret. So they knew what they did was wrong and they still felt bad about it. Number two, they knew that at some point God would get them back for betraying their brother. Because they... The brothers acknowledge that God is a God of justice, and, and in the end, he makes everything right. Number three, um, they relive the incident by being incarcerated for three days, put in a pit in Egypt for three days. They relive the incident and begin to empathize with Joseph when they couldn't empathize with him at the moment they threw him in the pit over 20 years ago. Moving on to verse uh, 20, 23. 23 and 24, they did not know that Joseph was listening. So when the brother said, oh, you know, this is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph, they did not know that Joseph was listening since there was an interpreter between them. That's another way Joseph disguised himself. He acted like, you know, it's kind of like sometimes when you're in Grand Falls and you're speaking English, uh, I can't, and you're like, yeah, you know English. I know you know English. You're just pretending that you don't know English, right? Sometimes that happens. Well, Joseph knew Hebrew, but he acted like he didn't know Hebrew. Why? Because he had an interpreter speak for him. <laughs> so they're like, so that's why they felt free to express themselves in front of Joseph because like, ah, he doesn't understand what we're saying anyway. It's kind of, kind of like in Bible college. I was so annoyed at these two guys. This one guy was from, I, I want to say Cuba. And the other guy, his friend, was going to become a missionary. So they spoke Spanish all the time. And he'd come and he'd say, Jose, Jose, do you know where Jose is? No, I haven't seen Jose. Well, then they finally, and then they're like, and I'm all thinking, do you know how rude it is to speak in Spanish in front of us? And we don't know what you're saying. Like, you know, kind of annoyed me. Anyway, that's besides the point. All right. So. They did not know that Joseph was listening since there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. So we can see that it's not that Joseph is getting his brothers back. He doesn't like doing what he's doing to his brothers, but he has to to truly know their heart. It's like the first time I had to discipline Ariana in a corporal way. You know, my, my mom and dad would always say, oh, you're going to get a spanking, but it's going to hurt me more than it does you. And I'm like, yeah, right. I understand what they meant because you don't want to inflict pain on your own child, but you know it's for their best because when they won't listen to reason or listen to grounding or other punishments, and the only thing they're going to listen to is a swat on the rear end, 
it hurts you. You don't want to do that. And so Joseph didn't want to do this, but he realized he had to, to really test their hearts to see where they were. And he turned away from them and he wept. When he turned back to them, he spoke to them and he took Simeon from them and tied him up before their eyes. Now, why Simeon? Should have been Reuben because Reuben's the firstborn. But Reuben was the one who said during the incident 20 years ago, let's not kill him. He had plans on coming back and rescuing him later. And according to tradition, it was Simeon who said, yeah, let's kill the kid. And wasn't it Simeon and Levi that almost single-handedly went in and wiped out the entire population of Shechem? After the guys had circumcised themselves and three days later they were in a lot of pain and couldn't defend themselves. So maybe that's why he knew that Simeon was the most dangerous one of them all. And that's why he incarcerated them. Because if anybody's heart needed to be tested, and it needed to be Simeon's heart that was tested. So in verses 23 through 24, we see that his actions helps answers his questions. Were they still hateful and wicked men? Were, were they liars? Were they remorseful of their actions against him? And they, did they still believe in the God of Abraham? And do they hate Benjamin as they did him? So these are all questions that were helped being answered by what he was doing to his brothers. Now, in verse 25, uh, in 26, it says, Then Joseph gave orders to fill the bags with grain, to return each man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. So he was feeling merciful towards them because he knew that they were struggling. So he gave the money back, but giving the money back was a test. Would they acknowledge that the money was given back to them? Or would they just say, well, you know, you're stupid workers. They, you know, put the monies back in our sack. You know, it's your loss. Kind of like when you leave the store and you look at the change in your hand and you look at the receipt and you realize the lady gave me back change or she didn't even charge me for this item. Do you go back and correct that or you're like, well, that's your loss. You're a multi-million dollar business. No skin off my nose. Kind of the same thing that, that Joseph was doing to his brothers. So he put the men's money to his sack and gave them provisions for the journey. A ruler of Egypt is not required to give provisions for the journey. Pay out of your own pocket. There's vending machines at the rest areas on the, on the way, right? Get you, get you a nutty buddy or something or, or a can of pop. It's not my business of what, how you fare back home. That's your problem. But Joseph was merciful and gave them provisions to get back home, enough food and water to get back home. So it was done for them. Then they loaded their grain and their donkey, and they left from there. So some people would say, well, what a dirty trick. Where's the good in that? This is a setup. Again, there's a reason behind it, and the answer lies in 27 and 28. As one of them opened his sack to give fodder to his donkey at the lodge, he saw his money, and behold, it was in the opening of his bag. So he said to his brothers, my money has been returned. Look, it's in my bag. And their hearts sank. They were like, oh, crap. They didn't say, well, that's their loss. They're, they're the stupid ones. No, this showed their heart. Trembling, each one of them turned to his brother and said, what is this that God has done? They think, oh, God's getting us back for what we did 20 years ago. It's our fault. We're bringing this upon ourselves. So verses 27 and 28, ultimately, uh, they would, uh, would they cut and run? Because if we're discovered having this money, they can blame us for stealing it and kill us all. Or number two, would they abandon Simeon and say, oh, well, one brother, at least there's 10 of us left. You know, one brother is no big loss, just like they did with Joseph. So this was a test. Now, chapter 43. 
chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. They're back home. You know, they, they cut their losses and they're home. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they finished eating the grain they had brought from Egypt, uh, bought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us firmly, saying, You won't see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy grain for, and food uh, for food. But if you won't send him, we won't go down, because the man said to us, You won't see my face unless your brother is with you. Jumping down to verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best produce of the land in your bags and bring an offering down to the man, a little balsam, a little honey, uh, gum and myrrh, pistachios and almonds. Wait a second. I thought this was a famine. Where are they getting all this at? You can't live off honey and nuts. Even though they had these things, it's not like you could live off them. Grain is called the staff of life or the bread of life. There's people on these survival shows uh, alone, for instance, and they're sent into Arctic regions of Canada or whatever, and they get into a predicament once the snow falls that they're catching rabbits and they're eating rabbits, but they're still starving to death because there's no fat on the rabbit. They need fat for their brain to work properly and for their uh, body to be nourished properly. The only way that they could get that is if they are lucky enough to dig through the ice and go ice fishing and catch fish because of the omega fatty omega-3s. So some of them starve to death, or not to death, but starve and end up having to forfeit the game because their health is in jeopardy because they can't get fed properly. So just because they had pistachio and nuts and almonds and honey doesn't mean they could have survived on that. But at least they had some of that to where they can give as an offering or a gift to impress the ruler of Egypt. Uh, okay, here we go. Verse 12. Also take in your hand double portions of silver. Not only the money that was brought back with you. Bring that, but bring double the amount. Why? Well, you got to buy more grain. Why not bring the same, same amount? It's called inflation. It's called supply and demand. The, the longer the famine was going, the price of the grain was probably going up. So just in case the price increased, bring double the money plus the money that was originally brought back in the first place. Also take in hand double portion of silver and bring back in your hand the silver that had been returned to you in the mouth of the sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. That's what they could only hope for. Take your brother too. Now get, now get up and go back to the man. May El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, grant you mercy before the man, so that he may release your other brother to you, along with Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. What does that remind you of? Does that remind you of anybody else saying something similar? As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. That's good. I was thinking of something different, but that's good. Remember Queen Esther? If I die, I die. It kind of reminds me of Purim in, in the story of Esther here. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So Joseph would soon see that his brothers would return out of necessity. But how would, he, would they treat Benjamin, who they had in tow? Would they show hate and contempt for the second favorite son, the one who replaced Joseph because it was from the favorite wife? You know, Joseph's full brother? Or would they be true? Uh, would they be counted true through the testing, the ultimate test? Also, were they honest and would they return the money that was originally put back in their sacks? 
So this is all the things that was orchestrated that Joseph was going to find out through orchestrating these events. It wasn't for vengeance. It was for testing. Now, to us, we have falling out with people, right? Sometimes friendships go south. Relationships go sour. I'm more than willing to forgive. And I'm more than willing to resume a relationship with somebody. But I'm not going to do that foolishly. I'm not going to say, oh, well, you're forgiven, and then just resume, act like nothing happened. No, that person's got a lot to prove. Once bitten, twice shy. Somebody does me dirty or does me wrong, I will forgive them. But it may take a while before they can earn my trust back and resume a close relationship that I had with them once before. And maybe that won't ever happen. It just depends on the test. We see that, that um, uh, Jacob, he tested Esau. And even though Esau hugged him and wept on his neck, he, something was fishy. Something wasn't right. Why do you want to leave your men with me as I travel to your Mount Seir? No, no, no. It's not necessary. You know, and why, why, you know, if you, if you truly forgive me, accept my gifts. And something didn't ring true. So even though Jacob forgave Esau, he didn't go to Seir with Esau. He went to Sukkot because he knew something wasn't right. So sometimes. We have to cut ties and relationships with other people. It doesn't mean that we haven't forgiven them. It means we don't trust them. And if you have legitimate grounds to not trust somebody, then it would be foolish to you to resume a relationship with them. It doesn't mean you treat them nasty. It doesn't mean you ignore them, but you don't have the relationship with, with them like you had before. So this is, this is what Joseph was doing. This was the test. Verse 29. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. That's his only full brother, his flesh and blood, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother whom you mentioned to me? Then he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out because his compassion grew warm and tender towards his brothers, or towards his brother, so that he wanted to cry. So he went into an inner room and wept there. Verse 31, Then he washed his face and came out and controlled himself. Serve the food, he said. So he saw that it was really Benjamin and not an imposter. They could have brought some Joe Schmo from their community. And if it was truly a ruler of Egypt that wasn't Joseph, how would he know? They didn't have DNA testing back then. You know, so he knew that his brothers were telling the truth. This was really Benjamin. So he saw that it was really Benjamin and not an imposter, which they could have done and gotten away with. But it was, uh, and they, but so they couldn't put one over on Joseph. So this proved, this test of bringing the brother, number one, proved their honesty, brought back the money because when they came back, they were so worried because they were brought to Joseph's house, not to the grain silo or the distribution center. They're like, oh, great. We're on his territory now. He's going to take our donkeys and imprison us. And, you know, he's, and then they, they said to the, the steward of the house, says, look, last time we came, you know, we, we, we paid for the grain, but somehow the money ended up back in the sacks. He goes, what are you talking about? I received your money. Everything's fine. Put the burden of mind at ease. So all this was to prove the brothers' honesty. So they were honest. They brought back the money, but also they brought they brought Benjamin and not some imposter. So this answered some very important questions to Joseph. Now let's move to chapter forty-four. Then he commanded one over his household, saying, Fill the men's sacks with as much food as that were able to carry, and put the money in the openings of each man's sack. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the opening of the sack of the youngest, along with the grain money. 
So he did as Joseph told him. When the morning dawned, the men were sent off, and they, they and their donkeys, and they left the city and did not get far when Joseph said to one over his household, Get up and go after the men. When you catch them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Uh, isn't this one uh, whom this isn't this the one from whom the Lord drinks? He even uses it especially to discern by divination. What have you what you've done is evil. So he caught up with them and spoke these words to them, and they said to them, what does my Lord say to such things? Far be it from your servant to do such a thing. Look, the money we found in the opening of our bags, we brought it back to you from the land of Canaan. So how could we steal the silver or gold from your Lord's house? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Why would we do something so stupid like that? And then they were, they were confident that they didn't do this. So confident they said, whichever of your servants is found with it, let him die. Kind of reminds me of Jacob. When Laban was searching for his household gods, and he had no idea that Rachel took them, he said, I didn't steal your gods. Just go ahead and search. And whoever you find it with dies. Kind of interesting, even though Laban didn't find the household gods, Rachel died anyway, didn't she? She died a premature death. So here, Benjamin's life is at risk. Benjamin's as good as dead. So whoever it's found with, let him die, and the rest of us will be the Lord's slaves. Even now, let it be according to your words, he said. The one whom it is found will be my slave, but the rest of you shall be innocent. In other words, you can just, you can just go on home. Um, okay, I will stop right there. So this seems like a dirty trick on Joseph's part. Again, where's the good in that? They were so confident that they were innocent, the brothers were. So now they gave Benjamin a death sentence. And now Joseph is going to see, are they going to let Benjamin go? Or are they going to fight for him? Are they going to let him go like they let me go over 20 years ago? Or do they love Benjamin enough to fight for him? This is daddy's second favorite son, or would they just throw him under the bus like they did Joseph? So the answer lies in verse 18 of chapter 44. Verse 18 says, then Judah, who is acting as the firstborn, because Reuben forfeited his firstborn rights by sleeping with Bilhah, his father's concubine, Simeon and Levi forfeited their firstborn rights because they were next in line because of what they did in Shechem, killing all those men. So the next fell to Ju Judah. Then Judah approached him and said, I beg your pardon, my lord. Please let your servant say a word in my lord's ear and don't be angry with your servants since you were like Pharaoh. Um, my Lord asked his servant saying, do you, do you have a father and a brother? So we said to my Lord, we have a father. He is old and a child born to him in his old age and is young. Now his brother is dead and he is the only one of his mother's children left and his father loves him. Then you said to your servant, bring him down to me so that I may look at him. But we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he were to leave his father, he would die. Then you said to your servant, unless your youngest brother comes down to me, um, with you, you will not see my face again. Now, when we went up to, to your servant, my father, we told him my Lord's words. Then our father said, go back and buy a little grain for food. So we said to them, we won't go down unless we have our, our youngest brother with us. Then we'll go down for uh, we won't see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father said to us, you yourselves know that my wife bore me two sons. One went out from me. So I said, he must have been torn to shreds, and I haven't seen him since. 
And if you take this one away from uh, from before me and an accident happens to him, then you'll bring my gray down, my gray hair down to the grave or to down to evil and Sheol, which is the grave, the afterlife. Now, if I come to your servant and my father and the boy isn't with us, since his life is bound in his life, when he sees that the boy is no more, he'll die. Then your servant will bring the bring the gray hair of your servant, your our father, down to Sheol in grief. For your servant became a pledge for the boy with my father, saying, If I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame for my father all my days. So now please let your servant remain as my Lord's slave. In other words, Judah is saying, I will be the sacrifice. I will give my life for Benjamin's life. That impressed Joseph. That said a lot right there to Joseph. That Judah was, was willing to give up his life to be taken away from his family for the rest of his days. For your servant became a pledge for the boy with my father, saying, If I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before my father all my days. So now please let your servant remain as my Lord's slave in the boy's place, and let the boy go up with his brothers. For how can I go up to my father if the boy is not with me? Else I might see the evil that would come down upon my father. Boom! The final proof that Joseph needed. Benjamin was loved and considered a full-fledged brother with him, with them, and they were willing to sacrifice themselves for Benjamin. So as a result, we, we go to uh, chapter uh, 45. Now Joseph could no longer restrain himself in front of all who were standing by him. So he cried, get, up, get everyone away from me. So no one stood with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now, how did he make himself known to his brothers? Several ways. He looked totally Egyptian. He was totally bald, totally clean-shaven, wore Egyptian clothes, spoke perfect Egyptian. So even if he took off his turban and said, it's me, and start speaking Hebrew, they would still be like, oh, I don't know. The only way to prove is if he showed them his circumcision. Why else would he tell everybody else to get away? Because it was an intimate, private matter. So that was the only way to prove it was really Joseph because of the circumcision, because Hebrews only circumcised in a very particular way. Other cultures circumcised, but in a very different way than the Hebrews did. So it says, um, so no one stood with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, but he gave his voice to weeping so that the Egyptians heard and Pharaoh's household heard. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They thought, he's certainly going to kill us now. We are in trouble. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. I'm Joseph, your brother, the one you sold to Egypt. He said, so now don't be grieved and don't be angry in your own eyes that you sold me here. Since it was for the preserving of life that God sent me here before you. For... um. For there have been two years of famine in the land, and there will be five more years yet with no plowing or harvesting. But God sent me ahead of you to ensure a remnant in the land and to keep you alive for a great escape. So now it wasn't you. You didn't send me here, but God. That's saying a lot because God doesn't mess with people's free will. Mankind can do whatever mankind wants, and they'll do unjust things. And even though they did something unjust, God has the amazing ability and power to turn unjust things of man to his good and to your good. 
And so Joseph acknowledges this, but God sent me ahead of you to ensure a remnant in the land and to keep you alive for a great escape. So now it wasn't you. You didn't send me here, but God. And he made me as father to Pharaoh, Lord over his whole house and ruler over the entire land of Egypt. So revenge or vindictiveness was never on Joseph's mind. All this was to attest and to ensure that his brothers had truly changed. So just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you have to be a friend with or accept anyone into your circle. Have discernment like Joseph. Just because you forgive doesn't mean that everybody's your buddy. And you don't have to be intimately close with everybody just because you're a believer and you have forgiveness. Be smart about it. Don't be anybody's welcome mat. That's not what God expects. That's not what turn the other cheek means. It doesn't mean to be a welcome mat. It means if somebody disses you or disrespects you or whatever, just uh, act like it's nothing. That's what that means. So don't, you know, anyway. All right. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. We'll have another hymn. Lord, we thank you that you've given us wisdom and given us the mind of Christ. It doesn't happen overnight. We kind of have to work towards the, those ends and, 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 and to prepare ourselves in such a way to have our minds transformed by the renewing of the word and, and things of this nature. But Lord, when, our, when we're saved, we're regenerated, we're born again, our nature changes. And uh, the old nature keeps trying to reassert itself, but we have to keep beating it down. And Lord, just as you gave Joseph wisdom, he could have just been totally angry at you, totally embittered against you and against his brothers. I've unjustly been a slave in Egypt. I was falsely accused of rape. You know, forget you, God. Where were you when I needed you most? You could have stopped me from being sold into slavery. You could have stopped me from being falsely accused of rape. You could have stopped my brothers doing what they did to me. And my brothers claim to be your servants and claim to be godly men. And look what they did to me. I'm done with it all. And he could have been angry and bitter. But Lord, you knew that he was a cocky, arrogant teenager who needed to be taken down a few notches and humbled a bit. And this, this slavery may have not been in your perfect will, but it was your permissive will. And you even turned this injustice of the brothers and injustice of Potiphar, injustice of Potiphar's wife. And even though he was enslaved and also imprisoned, he went from the frying pan into the fire. Nonetheless, you were with him. You showed favor and gave him favor in Potiphar's eyes, gave him favor in eyes of the warden of, of the jailhouse. And as a result, ultimately, those years of injustice and suffering, he went from the, 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 uh, the prison to the palace. That's you, God. That's not any work of man. And even Joseph was wise enough in the end to admit, you, even though you physically sold me into slavery, it really wasn't you. God had a purpose and a reason for behind it. There was a reason for this injustice. There was a reason for this suffering. There was a reason for through all the bad things that I've gone through and went through. And just like Job, he could have cursed God and die like his wife said. But at the end of it all, he got double back than what he lost. So, Lord, help us to remain faithful to you when we are treated unjustly. Help us to remain faithful to you when it seems like we've lost everything. Because knowing that all that we need is inside us, they can't take our salvation, our joy, our integrity, our personal relationship with you through Christ. None of that can be taken away. And whatever happens here is temporal and, 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 and passive at best. 
because we know that in the end, whatever suffering we endure here, we're going to have an eternity of bliss. So Lord, help us to be wise like Joseph in our relationships, that we don't readily accept or believe everybody, that you give us wisdom and discernment through the power of your Holy Spirit to know. It's the same kind of discernment and spirit that our brothers and sisters in persecuted countries must have. Just because somebody says, oh, you know, in a persecuted country, oh, you guys are Christians and I want to know how to become a Christian. I want to be part of your church. Well, who knows? That could be a government spy. They have to have discernment. Lord, you told us in Matthew chapter 10 to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So give us wisdom and discernment. The wisdom and discernment like Solomon had to know whose child was whose. The wisdom and discernment that Solomon had to impress the, the uh, Queen of Sheba. We need that same wisdom that can only be found in your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit and having the mind of Christ so that we can be and do all that we can be for the honor and glory of your name. For we ask and we pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.